I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as Disney catalog fans, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Yes, this is the grand finale of our 60th anniversary retrospective on Doctor Who. As we take a look at some non-canonical Doctors, we have done an episode on every on-screen canonical Doctor there has been, from William Hartnell all the way to Jodie Whittaker. As of this recording, we have not seen the 60th anniversary episodes. We are actually recording this episode a few days before, so there will be no spoilers for the 60th anniversary specials in this episode. Yeah, Uh, I mean, technically we are recording it after the Children in Need special that is technically the first thing David Tennant's new Doctor did. And everybody is loving that special. Everyone loved it. (laughs) But honestly, that wasn't really enough about the personality of the new tenant doctor for us to really say anything about him. So we are not going to dive into that. Maybe another day. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll circle back to it later. But speaking about Doctor Who charity sketches, perfect segue. So yeah, we were going from a children in need to Red Nose Day because the first non-canonical Doctor we're going to be talking about is Rowan Atkinson in Doctor Who, The Curse of Fatal Death. So yeah, this was in 1999, a few years after the Eighth Doctor movie. This even features about five seconds of the Eighth Doctor movie because they use the clip of the TARDIS from that movie for the Doctor's TARDIS in in the Time Vortex here. And Rowan Atkinson in this in this sketch plays the Ninth Doctor, and this is this is kind of historic in terms of Doctor Who because this is the first Doctor Who anything to be written by Stephen Moffat. Yeah, and it was also produced by, uh, or executive produced, by Richard Curtis, who would later go on to write Vincent and the Doctor, which we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was produced by uh, Sue Virtue, who is uh, Stephen Moffat's Moffat's wife. wife, Yeah, Um, Because, you know, it it pays... To be married to the right people because, oh, who's going to write this Doctor Who parody special? Oh, my husband's a huge nerd. Hey, babe, can you can you write a Doctor Who episode? Uh, it's really interesting how many people in this production were either had wanted to be involved in Doctor Who before the cancellation or were just big Doctor Who fans, you know, or- that sort of thing. Heavily rumored to be part of it at some point. Yeah. Um, so I find this, everything about this particular production really fascinating. 
Yeah, and and I love that even though it's a parody, they're not really holding back. Because they're using actual props from the show. Like, the TARDIS set is the actual TARDIS set from the show. They, you know, it's the actual Dalek props. They didn't make it look cheap or any more cheap than classic Doctor Who already looks. But, like, like Moffat knew what he was satirizing. It, it came from a place of love. The best way to satirize something is satirize something you love because you know you're going to get all the beats right. Because if you're satirizing something you hate, then you, it, you can tell. I mean, it's like that's why the, the the parody film genre doesn't really work anymore, because people are just making fun of things that they already hate rather than making fun of things that they actually appreciate. Yeah, parody has to come from a place of love or it doesn't work. Mm. Um, and this absolutely came from a place of love, which is why. You know, before. YouTube was really a thing and stuff. This was one of those things that you would find either on the bootleg table at a convention or it would be shown like when a panel was running late. And or really low quality on certain shady sites. You got play like the real player. Remember real player? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Um or Remember those old shoutcast stations? Yeah. Um, yeah. We're old. We're old. Yeah. We're, we're <laughs> back in the day on the internet, um, you know, you'd have the station that would be like 24-7 Mystery Science Theater, and then some people would play like, you know, classic Doctor Who before the reboot happened and stuff. And this would get slipped into the classic Doctor Who channels. And also, if you were at a convention, this would be one of those, like, midnight video room showings. I mean, Moffat himself, prior to the revival, considered this canon. I think most people considered this canon until the revival. Mm. Like, this was just how Doctor Who ended <laughs> <laughs> until the revival. Um because no, nobody thought Doctor Who was ever coming back. Like, this was, unless you read the novels or were into the audio dramas, like, this or was the, the last, yeah, or the comics, you know, the, the tie-in stuff. Yeah. This was the last you were going to see of Doctor Who on screen. I think everybody had kind of given up. And who do you get to play the Doctor but Blackadder himself, Mr. Bean himself, Rowan Atkinson. And honestly, uh, Atkinson, I mentioned this when we talked about the Eighth Doctor movie, that Atkinson was one of the people that was under consideration to play the Eighth Doctor. And for him to play this Ninth Doctor, you can really see there's something here. Like, like Rowan Atkinson could have been a really great Doctor, honestly. He does have the weird balance between, of course, the comedy, because that's what Rowan Atkinson is known for, but strangely, the, the gravitas as well. And he can say these ridiculous alien names and ridiculous technobabble completely straight, and you can buy it. Yeah, and 
it is bizarre how you do believe it coming from Rowan Atkinson, which is the one thing I would not have guessed if you had told me beforehand Rowan Atkinson as the doctor. I would have been like, you know, I don't really see him being all reverse the polarity of the neutron flow believably. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, you he's, got a better, he's, he's got a better wig than Paul McGann's. Well, yeah, that that too. Actually, I'm not sure that wasn't just Rowan Atkinson's hair at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got the Raxacoracophalopatorius of it all. Yeah, going for him. Um, however, if you had said to me Jonathan Price is the master, there's never a universe where that doesn't work for me. <laughs> I mean, he's he's he just, just excellent. He's just going over the top with it, and uh, you know, your certain death is certain. <laughs> yeah, immediately you're like more scenery, Mister Price. <laughs> what kind of sauce would you like with that? You know, it's like, and this definitely plays into what was at the time. The under the surface fan theories of the master and the doctor, the utter disgust that the master has when he realizes the doctor is marrying someone who's not him. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like, boy, did these fanboys want the doctor to dance because immediately that is the entire plot of this thing is that the doctor is retiring so he can marry the companion. Yep, we got Emma, our Julia Sawala, who at the time was on Absolutely Fabulous with another actor that's in this thing. Yeah, and I think she had maybe been up for a part in the series before it got canned? Possible. I I think that there had been talk about her maybe becoming a new companion and all for seven, and then it got... As we mentioned with the seventh Doctor, they were almost ready, you know, they had completed completed Ace's story and they were going to write her off and get a new companion. Possible? I don't know. Again, the show was canceled before we found out found that answer out. But it, again, she works well here as the companion. Yeah, she she works very well in that classic companion kind of thing of the like, I have no idea what's going on. Please explain it to me, you know, and and then doing the I'll I'll explain it later kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which is a great running gag. Um, the The thing is, though, is that that is the immediate thing, is that the Doctor tells the Master, you know, I've saved every planet in the universe at least 27 times, and I realize (laughs) I'm, I'm in love with my companion, we are going to get married, and the Master is immediately like, you're marrying a, a human? You're marrying a woman? You're marrying someone not me? I am offended. I will kill you. You know, like 
Yeah, and I just love how Rowan is selling this. I found a woman who is more exciting than a crawl up a ventilation shaft. And it's like, it's pure classic who tropes all around. I love, there are so many tropes that are just casually dropped, which are so funny in this. The, I'm, tired of, I'm tired of all the rock quarries. Yeah, the ventilation shaft, the quarries, um, all of the things. And what's so funny is some stuff that will come back later. The desolate planet they're on is desolate because there were a race of flatulent beings <laughs> who ended up dying when they discovered fire. And who was one of the first villains we saw in the revival series? Farting aliens. Yeah, the Slovenes. So it's like, you know that, like, Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat were like, hey, that one thing from Curse of Fatal Death that we want to bring back, farting aliens. Hey, Chris, come here. Check this out. <laughs> yeah, which, which is like, of all the things from this special to bring back, of course, these two would bring back the farting aliens before you bring back, like, I don't know, a woman doctor. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that sounds about right. <sighs> However, this does have some some great bits, like, you know, say hello to the spike trap of doom. Oh, you mean the sofa of comfiness? Yeah, I went back and talked to the architect. Well, I went back further and talked to the architect. This oh, is well, Bill I and went Ted. back even further and talked to the architect. This is, a, this is right out of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. Man, what are we going to do? Well, we'll use the booth. We'll go back and we'll set up a recording that says, Dad, come get me. Dad, where are you? And I'll say exactly that. <laughs> so it's yeah, like that. I, I, I just love how it it's the, the one-upsmanship of going further back and further yeah. back and further back and it's it's it, it it's a manhood measuring contest between the two of them and who can abuse time travel more. And of course, the doctor wins, and the whole thing escalates until the master pulls a lever, wrong lever, crunk, and falls into a, a sewers <laughs> a sewer system. Say hello to 300 years of fear and feces. I love that line. Yeah, it, it is a rather funny line. And comes back, you know, just just Jonathan Price reemerging with, you know, the the long beard and the the white wig and yeah, yeah, the the soiled robes that you know. 300 then, years in a sewer. <laughs> and then being like. I have brought allies, the Daleks. They are the only race that will deal with me now because they are the only race without noses. <laughs> I mean, when you spend 300 years in a sewer. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, 
he lunges for the doctor, forgetting that the open trap door is there, falls in, spends another 300 years in the sewer. And then he gets knocked over by a Dalek, so that's a, we're up to 900 years in a sewer. And then he comes back with a walker, uh, and the Daleks are outpacing him, you know, even the slow-moving Daleks are moving faster than they are. But the Daleks, uh, my, my favorite joke in all of this are that the Daleks rejuvenate his body and upgrade him with Dalek technology. The Dalek bumps. <laughs> they put Dalek bumps on his chest. They make the joke, yes, I've seen they've given you breasts. They're not breasts. They're Dalek beam, beam locators, and they're especially firm. What are you saying? Oh, nothing. Yeah, I just love Jonathan Price being so camp with his Dalek bumps. <laughs> and, you know, again, throwing it in the companion's face. Like, my boobs are firmer than yours. The doctor will want me. <laughs> yeah, the... But, of course, the reason that everybody remembers this thing is that the multiple regeneration sequence. Mm-hmm. Where the doctor needs to, you know, fiddle around with the technology to stop the Daleks. And he ends up uh, dying he, because he he's a, he, injured. He, yeah, he gets electrocuted about four times. Yeah. And the first person he regenerates into after... He gets injured that first time. So we go from Rowan Atkinson into Richard E. Grant. The quite handsome doctor, the 10th doctor, the lick the mirror handsome doctor. 10th doctor that likes to lick things. I feel like we're going to get, that's another, <laughs> well, not intentional. It's something that we would eventually give with David Tennant. Yeah. Rowan Atkinson, especially here, you know, 90s era Rowan Atkinson, not an ugly dude. But going to Richard E. Grant, that is an upgrade. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, 1999 Richard E. Grant could absolutely get it. Um, and, the, and the companion knows it. <laughs> yeah, and the companion is immediately like, well, I was going to marry the other guy, but now... Um, the interesting thing is, for the longest time, it was like, hey, remember the time when all these people played the doctor, and then there was that other guy? Yeah, it turns out Richard E. Grant was the other guy, because this was the first thing I ever remember seeing him in, and I had no idea who he was. Hmm. Uh, in fact, I never actually put Richard E. Grant Name to face until Loki. Not even when he was uh, the great intelligence in Doctor Who? I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who show up in Doctor Who for like a part. And then I go like, okay. You know? Mm -hmm. The thing is, though, is that like, he's, he's 
in stuff. Like, he, he's in the, the, he's the great intelligence in the episodes and stuff like that, yeah, he shows up in some episodes of Downton Abbey, um, he was in, uh, like, an episode of Frasier at one point, um, but, like, he was in a couple episodes of Game of Thrones, you know? But the thing is, is, like, my brain never connected him to anything important enough to actually remember who he was. He was one of those, like, eh, it's that guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, to me, he was just like, you know... Uh, it's, it's it's that guy. He shows up, he does a good job, and then, like, he leaves, and, okay. Um, but, like, finally, in Loki, he was, like, a character where I'm like, oh, he does something, and it, like, absolutely impacts the storyline, and I can, you know, it, it clicks for me. And now when I see him, like, that's how my brain works, you know? Um, I'm, I'm just like that, you know, like once, once I connect somebody with like, okay, now I know who you are, it kind of just retroactively works like that. So it's, I mean, like you said, seeing a, seeing an actor at the beginning of their career doing Doctor Who and then seeing how big they become. And then going back to those episodes, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's, I just realized, uh, I've been doing some rewatching in preparation for um, the new stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just realized that the uh, short-lived fiancé of Martha Jones is Tom Ellis, who plays Lucifer. Mm. Or like, uh, but he's only. Or well, Dodge yeah, and, and of and, course and the Garfield. Andrew Garfield, because yeah. n- nobody knew who Andrew Garfield was at the time. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're like, eh, you know, okay, you know, you you see actors early on when they're still doing bit parts, and then they have that kind of like breakthrough role where you're like, okay, that's what I recognize them as. And then you go back and look, and you're like, eh. Richard E. Grant was kind of like that for me. Like, I realized he was known to the British audience, but I hadn't seen, you know, I didn't have the context for that. But, of course, you know, unfortunately, Richard E. Grant's... uh, Tenure as the doctor. (laughs) Tenure as the doctor in this was very uh, short-lived, because he goes back to try to fix the uh, Dalek machine... And gets electrocuted, and we get Jim Broadbent! Yes, Jim Broadbent, our 11th Doctor, our shy-around-girls Doctor. And this does not please our companion at all. She is like, oh, yeah, no, you are now a Doctor that does not want to touch me and cannot even talk to me or look at me because I am a girl. In fact, this... Broadbent's doctor cannot even look in the master because of the Dalek bumps. 
<laughs> and the master is like, no, 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 not a girl. Very much that, a guy. That wouldn't happen for a while. The master being a girl wouldn't happen for a yeah. while. Um, trust me, we can still we can still get married on many planets, not on Earth, but you know, many planets. Uh, and all, but uh, of course, Broadbent's doctor also not long lived because he goes around the corner to try to fix the machine again, gets electrocuted, and. We get Hugh Grant as the doctor. Hugh is... Grant, our 12th doctor, the handsome doctor. Again, major upgrade of broadband. From, from the uh, companion's perspective, yeah. I mean, he can at least talk to women again. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, I kept getting electrocuted because I forgot to unplug it before I worked on it. Silly me. Ha ha ha. Typical man. Yeah. And then so, the weapon, and then uh, at, right when everything looks like it's going, everything, the happy ending, the weapon discharges and shoots a doctor. And it's permanent this time. No regeneration. And suddenly this turns into a pantomime. It, it's It's just really weird. Because... You know, the companion starts talking about, like, no, Doctor, you can't die. The universe needs you too much. I need you too much. And the master's like, I will disavow evil. I will become a good guy in your name. And the Daleks are saying, we will also disavow evil and become good guys in your name because you saved us. The universe can't stand not having the Doctor in it. It's very much, again, another... Another taste of things to come in the Moffat era of Doctor Who. These big, boastous speeches of how awesome the Doctor is. Yeah, and you kind of expect the companion to turn around and look directly at the camera and be like, Clap, children, clap! If only you believe enough in the Doctor! <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you really do. Like, it really becomes this, like, strange pantomime bit where it's like... You want to be like, you know, do you want the Doctor alive again? Just believe. Say, I believe in the Doctor. Clap, children. You know, like. (laughs) But um, instead, the universe itself decides it can't live without the Doctor and gives the Doctor regeneration energy or something. And this is the, the reason kind of everybody remembers this special it is our first time we have a woman play the doctor on screen. Joanna Lumley, our 13th doctor, who, and I mentioned this before, Joanna Lumley was in contention to play the 7th doctor. And, of course, that didn't happen. We got Sylvester McCoy, but she got her chance here to play the doctor. Of course, her and 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 uh, her and Julia were both on Absolutely Fabulous. But uh, the 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 first woman doctor and the first shot is a is her boobs in center frame, and she immediately is like, "Look, I got Dalek bumps too. I can see the on switch." <laughs> yeah, this is a really lewd. This uh, starts this starts a trend. Um, uh, of what fans would call Stephen Moffat writing with one hand. 
Yeah. Um, I realize that Joanna Lumley is a very attractive woman, especially 1990s Joanna Lumley, very attractive woman. But keep it in your pants, Stephen. The doctor in her new form is absolutely still down to marry her companion. And she's like, boy, your mother's going to get a shock. Well, let's uh, get in the TARDIS and get to we'll our wedding. Wear, we'll both wear white. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the companion is immediately turned off and even says, you're just not the man I fell in love with. And the master is immediately like, uh, yeah, I do not care what gender you are. I am still down. <laughs> Let's get and, that TARDIS rocking. And the doctor is up for it. I, I've never noticed how handsome you are, master. Why are you called the master? Oh, uh, look at my, and of course we get the, 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 the sonic screwdriver joke. It has three settings. Yeah. and. Then, you know, we, we get the what everybody kind of figured was going to be the final shot of Doctor Who, which was the Doctor and the Master walking off with their arms around each other. Laughing. To, to go, well, the, the Master was laughing. He finally won. The Master yeah. finally won. <laughs> I mean, the Doctor and the Master were definitely on their way to Bone Town. And that that was Doctor Who for some years. Yeah, like I, like I said, Moffat considered this story canon. It could he considered it the canonical ending of Doctor Who, and there was consideration to continue this. There was talk of taking Joanna Lumley's do Doctor and spinning her off into a series of novels as the Thirteenth Doctor. Never happened, but it was considered. But yeah, this for a lot of people that was the final shot of the master and the doctor arm in arm walking off to dance. And of course we get a bit of the future because we have a blonde-haired woman as the doctor. Although this doctor is much more confident in her in her sexuality versus uh how Jodie Whittaker performed her doctor. In all honesty, I kind of wish we had Joanna. Just seeing this little, this little five minutes, whatever of jo of this, not even five minutes. It's like one to two minute scene of Joanna Lumley as the Doctor. I was like, man, if she was the Doctor officially, what what would have been if she had been the seventh Doctor, or if she had been an official Doctor in some sort of revival in the nineties or something? Maybe cut down on the sexual overtones. Because she's a great actor. There could have been something here. Yeah. I always kind of liked the idea. But, yeah. So many of the actors in this had connections to... Um, to Doctor Who. Todd Bent had parodied Doctor Who on like a sketch show before this. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's kind of why they brought him on, because he had done it kind of famously uh, beforehand. And, li- and like we said, you know, Julia had been considered for being a companion before the show got canceled. Um, Joanna Lumley was considered to be the doctor. Rowan Atkinson was considered to be the doctor. Hugh Grant was considered to be the doctor in the revival and turned it down. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that Hugh Grant says to this day he kind of regrets that. That he was like, you know, I really should have done that. That would have been a good move for me, career-wise, probably. Especially considering how big Doctor Who is now. Yeah, I I think that people didn't realize how it was going to catch on. Mm-hmm. I think people were remembering the series kind of at its end and everybody going like you're a doctor who nerd aren't you you sad little virgin in your basement you know Mm -hmm. and i think that they hadn't taken into account that Things had started to change by the time of the revival. Mm-hmm. Television had changed. Special effects had changed. You know, you know what if Doctor Who had a budget? How good it could be? Yeah, I mean, again, it's 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 it's. If you haven't seen it yet, it is free. It is on YouTube. Officially you on YouTube as well. Yeah, the official Red Nose Day YouTube channel has it there. It is a bit weird to watch because the, you know, the first time I watched it, I mean, the first couple of dozen times I watched it, it had the audience laugh track with it because it was recorded off of the broadcast, you know? Yeah. Um, And weirdly, the official YouTube channel just has the the straight up uh, footage Mm -hmm. and not merged with the sound of the audience on the night it aired. So it is this weird like you know when you watch an old sitcom and they remove uh, you know when you Those watch YouTube videos, and, yeah. and it's got the laugh track removed. Yeah, you see the videos of people removing laugh tracks from sitcoms like Big Bang Theory or like or you see like just people just standing around waiting for the laughter to end. You remove the laugh track, it's very, very awkward. And there's moments well, that there are moments like that in in the special where there's the the, the there's clearly a reaction to a laugh track. Well, the thing is, is that it they hadn't put a laugh track in because it was shown live on the night to an audience. So the one you would have watched on bootleg had the reaction of the live audience that was watching it. Um, so it's not like they're waiting awkwardly or anything, mm-hmm. but... They did know that they would need to pause slightly 
because there would be a live audience reacting. So some of it seems slightly ill-timed because they were planning ahead for live audience reaction and that they knew that some of these lines would be funny enough to get a laugh. And they are funny enough to get a laugh, but it does seem a little strange when you hear it stripped of the audience reaction on the night. Um, so it it does hit a little differently when you just watch it with the plain footage without the audience reaction seeing it for the first time. And I kind of wish that weren't how they show it now on YouTube. Because I also, do think it strips something away. Also, the YouTube version is cropped from to widescreen, which I'm not a fan of. Yeah. But uh, yeah, if if that un, you know, un, unless you're willing to hunt down a bootleg of the original airing, this is probably the best way you're gonna watch it. At least it's an at least it's an official upload on YouTube. Yeah, I just, I wish that they would kind of merge the good footage with, like, some of the sounds from the, the night, because it was kind of cool to hear the audience react to, like, oh my god, Rowan Atkinson. Oh my god, you know, Richard E. Grant. Oh my god, Jim Broadbent. Oh my god, that's you, Grant. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> um, so, I mean, some of the reactions were really cool. Um, and it's it's kind of sad that those haven't been preserved along with just the raw footage. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would, I would like to see them merged again, because that would be neat. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, let's move on to a few years later. It's 2003. It's Doctor Who's 40th anniversary, and BBC has nothing planned. So then to enter BBC Interactive, who is, since if the main BBC isn't going to do anything for Doctor Who's 40th anniversary, they are, enter the first official Doctor Who animation, Scream of the Schalke. So yes, this Scream of the Schalke is considered to be the official 40th anniversary special for Doctor Who. Now, originally, they were going to do this as a 12-episode season with three different stories, with Schalke being the first story. But their budget got cut. They only had enough budget for six episodes instead of 12. So they dumped the other two stories and just expanded Schalke to six episodes. And here we are with... Uh, this animation. And the animation team behind this would actually start doing uh, the animated reconstructions for the lost episodes. So this isn't their only dip in the dip in the Doctor Who pool, as it were. And, you know, again, they wanted this to be the official continuation. And, you know, they kind of got that rug pulled off from under them. As, you know, right before this was set to be released online, the announcement of Russell T. Davis coming in to be the new showrunner, for, that Doctor Who was coming back in, 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 20, in 2005. 
they made that announcement that, you know, they're going to start filming in 2004 and all that. So we've talked about that before. So like before this even aired, it was already considered non-canon, but they went with it anyway, because, you know, they needed to do something for Doctor Who's 40th anniversary. And yes, as the animated Doctor, welcome back, Richard E. Grant as the ninth Doctor. Somebody really wanted Richard E. Grant as the Doctor. I think they wanted a known name to be the Doctor for this because they needed to sell this. They needed to get some really big uh, uh, attention. And considering, again, this was originally planned to be the reboot, the continuation. The animation is, it's 2003 flash animation. It's, 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 it's new ground style. I'm going to be honest with you on that one, but they make an effort to make the animated characters look like their respective actors. I will give them that. I'm going to say, I'm going to disagree slightly. I absolutely loathe the the animation of the Doctor in this. Most of the other characters look kind of alright. The companion animation looks kind of alright. The Master looks decent. Um, Most of the other stuff looks really crappy. And I think the doctor looks like a ram trying to look human. I don't know what the hell is up with the hair, but it looks like he's got, like, ram horns on his head. I could see where you're coming from with that. And, again, this was made to be online streaming in 2003. So they wanted to be able to have this streaming without having to download anything. And again, streaming in 2003 is a lot different than streaming in 2023. So, I mean, again, you remember the days of Newgrounds. Oh, yeah. How choppy that animation was. But trying to do that on a presentable level here and on a BBC budget. They did what they could with what they had, especially with with this. Is the animation the best? No. Does it stand up? Oh, hell no, it doesn't stand up. But for 2003 web streaming animation, new ground style, it's it's I've seen worse. I'm I'm going to tell you something. Mm-hmm. I tried to watch this when it came out because all my friends were like oh my god there's a new doctor who thing and you know we've talked about my history with doctor who and that i wasn't really into doctor who as a constant thing until the reboot series came out but This was one of the first things that I really tried to to watch with Doctor Who because, you know, my friends were very into it and they were talking about it and, you know, 
So I tried to watch it. And I could not make it through this at the time. I was like, oh, my God, if this is what Doctor Who is like, Doctor Who is garbage. Um, and in fact, I have not made it through the entire thing until we had to do it for this podcast. Yeah, I was very hesitant on putting this on the list because of that. But I felt that we had to do the the non-canonical doctors in some capacity, give them some props. But yeah, like I said, some of the animation is very rough and there's a lot of cheats. Like there's a certain times where the where the character that where the shot will go wide or you'll see the back of a character's head for the sole purpose of they don't have to animate the lips. And it's it's fine. Like I said, for me it's fine. But uh yeah, let's kind of go uh I don't want to drag on this animation anymore and let's get to the main thing here because we have a uh, we have our companion here, Allison Sophie Okanado. Uh, modern Doctor Who fans will know her as Liz Ten, Queen Elizabeth the Tenth in The Beast Below. So this is one of her early acting roles, and she would come back to Doctor Who. But our other companion, and I don't know, I mean, this is the first time it's ever happened. The other companion is The Master. Sort of. Sort of. We have Derek Jacoby. As the master, which, you know, we would again have that in the revival series. Um, when they were producing this, when they were first coming up with the idea for this, that wasn't supposed to be the master. There are, because uh, BBC was kind of hesitant on this, saying, well, I understand, you know, they understand that, they, that you want to do something brand new, you want to have a fresh start, but we're not going to let you do this until you have something representing the classic show especially since you're trying to put this as a 40th anniversary special the original idea was to have a ai hologram of a past doctor in the tardis but after coming up with ideas they eventually went with the master and that's what it, that's what they stuck with but we have the master in a robot body and they do kind of give an explanation here. Something happened that the doctor and the master were together. The master was dying. And to save his life, the doctor put his mind into a robot body. That is, the, that is all of the explanation we are given in this special. Also, speaking of things we don't really get an explanation for... There is some, like, something happened, and I guess it's supposed to be their explanation for why the Eighth Doctor is gone, and the companion for the Eighth Doctor is gone. We get these kind of weird little things about, like, she died or I lost her or okay so I, I didn't want to get to it now but I guess I'll have to 
So Paul Cornell, who wrote the Scream of the Shalka, had come up with an origin of this doctor. Now, they never got a chance to do it because, again, the revival series kind of swept all of this stuff away. But he came up with an origin of this doctor. At some point, the eighth doctor would retire, go to Gallifrey, and fall in love with the daughter of the Time Lord president. Now, none of this is said in the show. This is straight from the writer of this special. The eighth doctor fell in love with the Time Lord president's daughter and had settled down on Gallifrey. Suddenly, a war breaks out. Yep, it's always a war. Every war declared. Every every reality, the Eighth Doctor ties in a war. So there's a war. The Time Lords retreat into the Matrix, and the only ones that are not in the Matrix are the Doctor the Time Lord President's daughter, and the Master. And, of course, Keanu Reeves. I guess. (laughs) Uh, She dies in the war. The Master master and the Doctor eventually defeat whatever enemy is attacking Gallifrey, but the Master sacrifices himself. The Doctor saves the Master's life by putting him in an android body. That's what he means by, I lost her. That the doctor lost his wife on Gallifrey. And because his wife was the daughter of the Time Lord president, he has been exiled from Gallifrey again. So we still don't know what happened to the uh, doctor chick from the Eighth Doctor movie. Nobody cares. Nobody's talking about it. Moving on. Yeah. And presumably that's how the Eighth Doctor regenerated into this Ninth Doctor. So what was an interesting story tying into the last movie is a giant F you to anybody who wants to know what happened to Paul McGann. Thanks, writer of this garbage (laughs) cartoon. Uh, Did they really? I mean, I don't know if they if they would have wanted to do use Paul McGann. I mean, they obviously wanted a bigger star. Eh. But what is the scream of the Shalka? It's hella annoying if you're wearing headphones. Let me tell you that. If you have not seen Scream of the Shalka, do not make the mistake I did. Do not put headphones or earbuds in. Your eardrums will thank you. Yeah, when they say scream of the Shalka, it is scream of the Shalka. It is literal, please do not harm your ears by wearing uh, any uh, any uh, headphones while you're watching this. So yeah, the Shalka are these lava-based beings that can change their form that has come to Earth to conquer it because it's Doctor Who. And their scream... They communicate by screaming, and they can use the scream to hypnotize people to do whatever the hell they want to do. And also, the this entire town is afraid of them to even make a single noise, because noise attracts the Shalka. 
can't aliens just ever come to Earth for, like, lunch or anything? No, no, it's always a conquer. It's always an invasion. Yeah. So that's the general plot of Scream of the Shalka. And it, there's a, there's a quick ending, a quick fake ending at the end by the time we get to episode two. Like, the doctor defeats the Shalka. They have retreated. Yay! And you think, oh, wow, this thing is ending really quick. Oh, no, the Shalka have the TARDIS. And then Caddy Derek Jacoby is inside the TARDIS. And he has a, he is at his most vicious. Yes. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> okay, this... The only good thing about this cartoon is that this is proto-Vicious. I think we've mentioned Vicious on the podcast before, but if you have never seen the TV series Vicious, please go look it up and do yourself a favor. It is Derek Jacoby and Ian McKellen playing this, like, old gay married couple who just spend their entire time making catty, shady remarks at each other, and it is one of the best things ever made. Um, it, it, it's just, it's just so good. It's so good. Um, it's basically, like, just the Doctor and the Master as that couple, except they're in the TARDIS, and one of them is Richard E. Grant. I don't know what the side plot is with the Doctor and the Master here. But the Doctor and the Master are just this, like, weird domestic couple who are, like, bitching over one of them didn't make the tea right and also you left the temporal vortex at seven and you know I like it at eight. Like, it is so bizarre like, and then, and and again, of course, the master getting jealous because the doctor is running around with a young girl because it's always a young girl. Yeah, it's it's very much like old married gay couple chic, and I love it. I would have watched an entire cartoon of this. It is the only saving grace of this. Richard E. Grant and Derek Jacoby play very well off of each other in that context. The rest of all of this, hot garbage. Lift out the Doctor and Master scenes, you really got something. And there's a, pro I mean, Richard E. Grant, not the best voice actor. He's a great actor on screen, but not, a, you can tell he's having a hard time trying to emote with only his voice. But also, I'm not sure. Okay, here's the thing is, I've never, to my knowledge, run into Richard E. Grant in a voice acting context elsewhere. So I don't know how much voice acting he does. So that may be accurate in that he doesn't do a lot of voice acting. That is a very different skill, as we have talked about many, many times. That just may not be his niche in the acting world. No shame. 
But my other problem is if you just look at the way the doctor is written in this, I don't really, I mean, yes, Paul Cornell has, has written a lot of uh, Doctor Who stuff. This makes me feel like he didn't know who this doctor was. Yeah, because, and also, to come back to, to what I'm saying before, it's like, when the doctor is being very cold and stoic and, you know, I can't believe I'm getting involved with human affairs again, that doesn't seem to be working for Richard E. Grant. But when he gets into the joking and when he gets into take me home and he starts singing it feels that's when Richard E. Grant is kind of getting he's kind of getting into the character and that's kind of weird because they clearly want this doctor to be very stoic and very cold after his this tragic loss he had and it's somehow hard for Richard E. Grant to kind of grasp around that that is the that is what I, again just listening to the performance myself. That's what I got. I don't know if that's what you got. Well, the thing is, is that I kind of had a bit of a different feeling because I kind of felt that the opposite was true. Like when they had the like, I'm. I'm not a human and I don't really care what happens to humans. That felt closer to the doctor to me. At least the doctor that I expect at this point in his timeline. And I know that's colored by what we know of the doctor afterwards. You know? Mm -hmm. But but also a little bit beforehand. It felt more like Hartnell Doctor to me. Mm-hmm. It, it felt a bit throwback Doctor. Like, ugh, why are, why are these humans chattering at me, you know? So I could kind of see, like, if if the writer had decided he had had a trauma back on Gallifrey and he's been exiled and he's suffered a massive loss or whatever that he ends up back on Earth when he doesn't intend to and now all these humans are screaming at him and he's like "Eh, I don't really care you know I want to go get drunk somewhere on a much cooler planet that feels more like the doctor to me like when we first see this doctor, the TARDIS lands on Earth and he gets out saying, Nope, I don't want to be here. Why are we here? Let's go somewhere else. Yeah, and- this is very obviously the TARDIS brought him here against his will. And he is like, No, no, no. I I want I want to go anywhere else. Thank you very much. And then the TARDIS turns itself off. Screw you, you're staying here. 
yeah, she is very much like, no, 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 you're you're going to save the Earth right now. Stop moaning about it. Stop bitching and be the doctor, doctor. Yeah. Um, and the doctor is not into it. So I can buy that, like, I've had a trauma. I want to go inside with my android master husband and, you know. Can I mope the universe? Can I mope around the universe in peace, sexy? <laughs> yeah. Um, and the TARDIS is like, no, 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 I'm kicking your butt to get back into your old routine. And the doctor is not it, having it. I mean, it's literally he's moping around the house and his mother's literally can go outside and play. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is that it felt disconnected to me when he starts singing cabaret and. I mean, I you doubt know. he's going to, I doubt whether it's the actor or the doctor is going to just start screaming. So he yeah. just starts singing because, again, he now he has this control over the Shalka. He knows how to destroy them by using a certain pitch level. So rather than screaming, he's singing. And... It would be cool if they'd if they explain it a little bit more. But it's one you kind of have to sit down and think about mm. in retrospect because the episode is not that great about uh really explaining it before the doctor does stuff and and it it happens sometimes in doctor who where the doctor does stuff and then afterwards he goes well you know i just had to you know do a little this and a little that and a little tap dance and then then the daleks exploded and you go like okay i buy it but this one was just like, okay, the doctor went crazy for a bit, and then some stuff happened, and it all seems very unrelated, and then three episodes later, he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, they communicate via resonant frequency, and I figured out the frequency like three episodes ago, and that's why I've been singing a bunch, and you're like, uh okay i guess i buy that i think this would have been better as a four episode series than a six episode series because yeah there is some padding in here yeah i mean pretty much the entire thing about like the town who's scared to talk or drop anything or you know it starts out so you know it has something to do with sound but by the time you get to, like, episode three or whatever, the Dodgers just walking around, like, talking at full volume with unit soldiers and stuff, and they're not really worried about it anymore, and, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like in Jurassic Park if they're like, okay... The T-Rex can't see us if we don't move. 
And then 20 minutes later in the movie, they're all walking around with like flashing lights attached to their jackets and, you know, running around the park and stuff. And you're like, wait, I thought you needed to like kind of stay still when the T-Rex is around, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, forget about that. You know, it's like. Yeah. It's like they set up rules and then they break them in the span of like if you're watching this back to back they set up the rules and then they break them within 10 to 15 minutes and you're like well what what happened to the rules you know also there's this subplot of the companion and her boyfriend having a fight like she they live in this small town she's bored out of her mind living here she wants to move somewhere more exciting her boyfriend is saying, nah, we're going to, I want to stay here. I like it here. This is my hometown. Everything I like is here. And then you get a little bit of backstory from her that she's has, she's this college graduate student with a degree, but she gave that up because she wanted, her boyfriend wanted to move back to his small town. So now the only job she can get in the small town is as a bartender. And like, yeah. I don't care. I don't care about your life, lady. First of all, whole man disposal system, please come for a pickup. Because no. No. And she will admit that the companion is, is freely admitting it that she is being selfish as that she doesn't want the world to be destroyed because she doesn't want to die before clearing the air with her boyfriend. Yeah. Like, they make their relationship such a major part of this special, and I don't care. Well, they try to make it a thing of, like... Will she go with the doctor or will she stay with her boyfriend? And I'm like, girl, if you stay with your boyfriend, you are the dumbest chick in the history of ever. Like, yeah, yeah. And so far, like, like the coolest thing the doctor does, and we haven't mentioned it yet, but the doctor has a cell phone that's shaped like the TARDIS. I mean, was that cool or was that I'm really that. stupid? I'm getting there because, like, the phone in the TARDIS is not a regular quarter phone. It's a cell phone that he takes with him so he can keep in touch with the master who is stuck in the TARDIS because the robot can't leave the TARDIS for some reason. The, what I mean by the coolest thing is him using the sonic screwdriver. The only time he uses the sonic screwdriver in this entire special is to use the cell phone because the cell phone is part of the TARDIS when he's going through a black hole to turn it into the TARDIS so he can get out. That sounds like something right out of Classic Who. Yeah. And that's like one of the few interesting things about this. But I don't want to, you know, crap all over this this special because there is something here. It's I kind of ju- want to crap all over this special because I don't think there's a lot here. It's there's a lot of fluff here. I can tell you that there isn't. There isn't six episodes worth of story here. There's barely two, and that says a lot when each spe- when each episode is fifteen minutes. 
So it's it's not even a full six hour or three hour serial like the old days. It's fifteen minute it's it's six fifteen minute episodes. So like barely an hour and a half. Ugh. The most memorable part of this special is the cameo. The cameo that no one that only is cool in retrospect. Right at the beginning of episode five, we get a cameo, an uncredited cameo from David Tennant. Yeah. Now, at the time they were recording this up, these these episodes, they were recording it at the BBC. During the break, they were, you know, David Tennant was there recording something else. And he was there, and all of the actors were just chatting together during their break. And they had said that, oh, yeah, we're recording Doctor Who. It's the new Doctor Who. It's going to be a webcast. We're, we're, we're recording it now. And Tennant was like, what? Doctor Who is coming back? It's going to be a webcast. It's going to be an, a, an animation. It's going to be a cartoon. Sign me up. I'm, I'm, I'm already here. Give me a part. I don't care what part it is. You don't have to pay me. You don't have to credit me. You don't have to do anything. Let me walk into a booth. He says maybe two or three lines and then dies. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is the first Doctor Who appearance of David Tennant. And they, uh, credit to them, they actually do try to make his character look like David Tennant ish yeah and i mean one once you kind of pay attention it's very obvious it's david Tennant. i mean it's him with his normal voice and every he's not doing a character voice it's just david Tennant, you know mm-hmm. so yeah the shalka's big plan is to use the screams of people to change the atmosphere of earth so it can be hospitable for them because they are a lava race that breathe in carbon dioxide. So the screams of humans get rid of that pesky ozone layer. And they find this out by spraying oxygen onto the Shalka, which is poison to them. Sure. Don't, don't think too much about it. Your brain will liquefy. We find out that one of the controllers of the Shalka has been embedded into the brain of the companion here. And then they remove it, and then the doctor is somehow able to reprogram it because it was connected to a human brain. Reconnect it back to Allison's brain, so now she controls the Shalka and gets them all to destroy themselves. It is very much Deus Ex Machina. It is very much a classic Doctor Who ending, but it's not a very creative one. Nor is it terribly easy to understand in the context of the episode. That's even when the Doctor tries to explain it, it's very weird because he takes it off of her head, swallows it, and somehow uses his own stomach to reprogram the Shalka seed and then regurgitates it and then puts it back in her head. Because, you know, Time Lord. Yeah. But anyway, 
Like, there's not a lot. I, I'm. If you really do like this, I'm sorry. There is not a lot of substance here. I don't know. We're speeding through it, but there really isn't a lot of substance here. To be honest, I'm glad it it was announced that the revival was coming before this hit the internet. Because I think if people had seen this, they would have been like, you know what? I think maybe it's a good thing Doctor Who is gone. There's potential in this story. There's potential in a Richard E. Grant doctor. I think that's the part where you're right. I think if Richard E. Grant had ever just had a chance to be the doctor with, like, competent writers and, like, a decent television story, Mm -hmm. I I think he would have nailed that. This is why, I mean, it's a recent view of mine, but had Richard E. Grant not played the great intelligence, he would have made an amazing war doctor. Yeah, probably. No disrespect to John Hurt. I love John Hurt as the war doctor. But Richard E. Grant as the war doctor, I think he would have nailed that. Also, I I think maybe, like, if we'd have gotten to see more of the war doctor, we didn't really talk about that. But we didn't actually get to see the War Doctor in action. And they did do the the audio adventures with him. And I love those audio adventures with both John Hurd and, and, and a recast after his passing. But it really isn't the same as seeing him in live action on screen. Had Had John Hurd not passed away, maybe they could have brought him back for something else. But being what it is and his unfortunate passing just a few years after the episode aired. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got. I wish we had gotten more. The, 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 you know, since we're talking about him in, in, this, in this story, you know, Derek Jacoby did play the War Master. And that's the one thing that, that does make me sad is that we'll never see the War Doctor and the War Master in a thing together. Yeah. That that is the one thing that makes me sad about, you know, in terms of me being a Doctor Who fan of John Hurt's passing, and had had Richard E. Grant had been the War Doctor, um, and that's may- the one part of the special that really works is Richard E. Grant and Derek Jacoby had really good chemistry. Exactly, yeah. I mean, them their banter with each... I don't know if they recorded their parts together or not. But, but either if, way, it really works. And yeah. It's, it's you know, it's Jacoby just hamming it up as only he can. And, 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 and Richard E. Grant just being tired of his BS. But yeah, like, like, like I said, there's something here. I think it's a little long for the story they're telling. There's too many characters that you just don't care about. The Shalka themselves start out interesting. And then they peter out. They peter out with the introduction of Shalka Prime. Because she just talks like a normal person. 
and I understand you kind of need that for the audience because you're just not going to have someone scream and then try to have a conversation. But it does take away something from these from the from these monsters. And it's probably for the best that we've never seen these monsters in anything else. Yeah. I never so, I never really want to see a monster that screams as its primary form of communication. Yeah, and then, you know, hey, Shalka dead. Oh, hey, do you want to come with me in the TARDIS or do you want to stay with your idiot boyfriend? I don't know. Let me think about it a while. Yeah, okay. That wasn't much of a choice. TARDIS, please. And that's it. We never see these characters again. Well, we never see these versions of these characters ever again. And maybe it's for the best. As a one-off, this isn't terrible. It's a nice piece of Doctor Who history. Uh, I don't know how well this does as a 40th anniversary special. Especially, it doesn't feel like it was intended to be that. As a pilot for a TV series, I'm glad the series never happened. Because I don't know... I get, uh, there's not enough here. Like I said, the novelty of it is is it wears out pretty quickly. It's really only worth watching for the novelty of it. I want Vicious with Richard E. Grant's Doctor and Derek Jacobi's Master. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's all. Not the way I would have wanted to end the 60th anniversary retrospective. Technically, we ended it last week. This is just uh, supplemental. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but, you know, the, Curse of the Fatal Death, awesome. Go yeah. watch it. At least that's only half an hour. Yeah. And every bit of it's good. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to put the TARDIS away for the time being and uh, take a break from Doctor Who. Uh, but as uh, as we go further down, as as Doctor Who becomes now part of the Disney Plus service and... You know, we, we, we didn't mention it before, but uh, classic Doctor Who has a new home here in the States. Um, Tubi, T-U-B-I, is now streaming classic Doctor Who, and it's free. So, watch a good classic Doctor Who series, honestly. Watch a good serial and kind of watch the taste out of this one out of, out of your mouth. <laughs> Going yeah. to be honest. But as for next week, uh, we're going to be taking a look at... We're going to get back into uh, Tim Burton movies. We're going to be talking about Edward Scissorhands. I'm not finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun to go back to this movie because, you know, it's... It's, it's, it's Monona Ryder, it's Johnny Depp, but it's also Vincent Price. Yeah, and uh, it's the it's the start of the holiday season. Yeah, it's the start of the holiday season. I consider it a holiday movie. I don't know about you. I mean, but, it's as close as I get. Yeah, so come back next week for 
Edward Scissorhands, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.